Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello everybody and thanks for tuning in to another episode. I thought I'd just take a quick moment to thank everyone for their support uh, and we're very grateful for your listenership over the last almost 18 months now that we've been delivering podcasts uh, around mental health and having some really great discussions. And I think we now have just over 3,000 dedicated listeners that are tuning in to find out what's going on and hear about the stories of different people and leaders within the mental health space. So thank you for your support and hope everyone is going okay, faring okay through this tough and difficult year. Within the mental health space, sharing experiences is a powerful way to showcase support while inspiring others to know they are not alone in their struggles. Committed to creating greater connected communities is this week's podcast guest, the Black Butterfly Group. Janice Elia, Tapu and Joe Fuiava are a trio of Pacific Islander people from a Samoan and Tongan heritage, born and raised in New Zealand and currently residing in Brisbane. Tapu and Janice are sisters and both work in specialised community mental health services while Joe works with children in crisis. Amongst themselves, many deep discussions were had about personal challenges as well as what was happening to family and friends, from poor relationships, mental illness to suicide. Knowing others must feel the same, they felt there must be a way to connect people and uh, and thus the Black Butterfly Group was born. Aiming to create hope and growth mindsets in people through the process of storytelling, Black Butterfly, the Black Butterfly Group is a regular Talanoa host. A Talanoa is, as I found out, a cultural process enabling people to come together to connect, share wisdom, impart wisdom, grow empathy, and I guess find a way forward through the art of storytelling. Throughout each Talanoa, the Black Butterfly Group or community members will nominate a topic ranging from hope to suicide and as a group, will pose a few questions to help anchor the ensuing conversation. Listen in as I meet with Tapu to talk about their experiences with mental health, the art of the Telenoa, and what they hope to achieve in the mental health space. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Tapu Fuiava from Brisbane. Tapu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sam, and thanks for having me on here. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to hear from yourself, and I know there's a few other uh, group members that you have that would love to be on the on the recording with us today. Nonetheless, we'll have to do with the uh, the phone recording. But Tapu, tell us about your background and the other members of the group that started Black Butterfly. So we are a trio. So there's myself and Janathemia and Joe Fuyama, and we just so happen to be family. So we're quite a close-knit family. It's not all, you know, um, fluffy, um, snowball kind of, we're not a perfect family, but 
we do like to encourage people. And so we are, you know, some people call us a, a bunch of bleeding hearts. We've got a background in working on the ground in community, both in the mental health space and in youth. But coming into Black Butterfly, we really decided that we would put aside what we have learned in our jobs and to really try and have an open mind going into this. We really wanted to make sure that we came in as fellow community members. That was really important to us because we got tired of, we would always talk about, you know, deep stuff between the three of us and we knew that we should just do something and we know that there are like-minded people out there and so that was kind of the motivation to do that but I would say the seed that was planted and that kind of got watered was I was fortunate to be a recipient of one-to-one coaching through an opportunity through a former job and I was pretty much challenged a few times and I think I got to a point where you know I started just really speaking it into our little trio and from there, we just started to make connections with the already already existing relationships that we had in the community and amongst our friends. So, we sort of just kind of launched into that. So, so Tapu, you and your sister Janice, is that right? You, you guys yes. are sisters. So you guys are sisters, yes. and you both work in community mental health services. Which right, tell us yeah. a bit about that. What are you doing in uh, what what services are you working for, and, and what are you up to? So we actually work for, well, I've just left that organisation after about almost 10 years working with Richmond Fellowship Queensland. So I I believe they are one of the biggest providers of psychosocial, non-clinical services in Queensland. So services from the top of Queensland all the way down to the Gold Coast. It's a great organisation, really client-centred. And so Janice is still there and she works in a programme that transitions people out of corrections. So very important role and programme in there. You know, very fortunate to have some insight in that space as well. And then Joe, he works in residential care working with youth in crisis. So, yeah. Wow, so you're... <laughs> very on th- the ground. Three, yeah, three of you in the front line of it all, uh, seeing... Yeah, seeing firsthand what's been going on. So how long have you have you been in the mental health space? For me, just over 10 years. Wow. Janice is quite new and Joe's been in there a number of years as well in the youth sector. And I was fortunate to have a, a lot of experience in leadership and people management through my roles in the mental health sector. So, you know, I would be lying if I said it didn't sort of help cultivate me into someone who has that passion and that that drive to get out there and take action. Yes. And Mm. and so during your time, the 10 years uh, that you've been in the community mental health services sector, Mm. what have you seen? What have been some of the challenges that you've seen out there as it relates to mental health or or needs that are getting worse or struggling? Tell us a little bit about that. So I I work a lot on the step chronic and persistent illness where people had been institutionalized and they had long stories of trauma and RSQ has a really great model for working with people absolutely but what I saw was I guess the, the theoretical side of working with people being actually translated into action on the ground 
there was definitely a struggle there, I believe, for workers to really relate that into reality because all the various barriers that pop up, you know, whether it be systemic, even just the nature of the diagnosis, resources available to the people that you work with, service dependency, that was that was really apparent. Um, obviously, stigma. I mean, that's associated yeah. with mental illness, massive on all levels of um, mental health challenges. But also, I believe the workers on the ground, training that gap that exists from training to actually practice. Yes. Because I believe that training needs to be resourced well in an organisation. And as we know, in non-government, you're poorly resourced. It's really outcomes-driven. And so when I was in leadership, I was really passionate about investing consistently into the staff. But of course, you get pulled in so many directions in leadership. And so, you know, you may have moments of being really motivated as a leader. Because I believe that when people that are working on the ground with people are inspired and are invested in, it just filters down to the people that they work with. Yeah. And that, and that, that investment needs to be there because it doesn't matter how much education, how much experience as well that people have. What comes into play is their ability to be positive consistently in that role because people come into these jobs with a whole range of their own issues and their own story too. And so that stuff needs to be consistently checked by people that are driving these programs and are supporting staff. We're all human. We're all human. We all have our, we're all, they say we're all on that spectrum, hey. You know, we're all moving up and down that mental health spectrum, you know. Yes. I think that's a real challenge. That's been sort of the challenges that I saw in that space. After working in it for 10 years, tell us what's the change, what's triggered the change in in your position? Wow. I don't believe any any experience is wasted. And I I feel like, for me, I sort of have have a faith. I have a, a spiritual side. And I just believe in purpose and believe in, you know, why, why, what, what's important to you? Why is this important to you? As I said, I was given the opportunity through my job to have one-to-one coaching and this coach built an excellent coaching relationship with me and helped me really flourish in my role, but also understood that we have our personal lives going on and it can really, it influences the way we work with people and unless you are you have that self-awareness and unless you are I guess flourishing in your own life it would be very difficult for you to be happy in the role that you do and I felt that coaching really gave me a really good balanced perspective of who I was as a person mm-hmm. and I was able to speak dreams and passions that I had and for me I really saw the service gap in Brisbane for Pacific Island people and I used to think to myself, oh, I'd really like to do something in this space, anything, small or little. And I was basically asked the simple question, well, why, what's stopping you? Yeah. You know, what's stopping you? Um, and it just sort of grew from there. <laughs> that's a powerful question. So Black Butterfly Group, that's the group that mm-hmm. uh, yourself, Janice and Jov have started. Yep. What were you seeing that wasn't being met as far as community services or for the Pacifica group? I mean, it, it goes without saying the rates of mental health challenges 
the rates of suicide across all races are increasing. The need is great. But what I was seeing is just people not even seeking help in the first place, not even being aware that actually you need to seek some extra support. And then obviously resources that's always short in community. But I guess, yeah, that help-seeking behaviour, people are really buried in their lives and that pressure of life, people are in survival mode. A lot of people don't even realise that they have things that they need to deal with, that they need to, uh, I guess, you know, even try and get some healing, healing for in the first place. And some people are just, let's be honest, they don't want to access services because it's, it's damn scary for them. And a lot of people actually don't have, are not even eligible to access clinical services. As far as people not reaching reaching out for help in the Pacifica community, do you think it's because the services aren't there that resonate with them, or do you think it's because they're they're just so busy? Do you think there's stigma between wanting to reach out for help? Do you reckon yep. there's one thing that sort of sticks out as being the main reason that's preventing people from wanting to reach out to get help? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In our Pacific Island community, we're not very good at seeking help. Yeah. Because that's seen as a sign of weakness, you know, there's a lot of shame and you've just got to, you know, just just toughen up, just be hard and just get on with it and sort of raise in an environment. And, and this is not for um, all Pacific Islanders, yes. you know, you're, you're raised in an environment where you listen to your elders, you obey them, you follow your leaders and you serve one another. And I think when you're cultured and raised in that sort of mindset, it really does follow you into your adulthood. And I can bear witness to that. That's something that I've had to really try to overturn as I've grown in my professional roles, having a voice. Yeah, I mean, because parts of the culture of the heritage with Samoan, Tongan uh, Islanders, I mean, there's a lot of parts of that culture that's really, really good. You know, the sense of family and belonging. I mean, a lot of you just see some really tight knit communities uh, in these cultures, don't you? Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that because there is so much strength and value in, I guess, the way we relate to each other. And family is absolutely one of our strengths. I mean, we're, we're family, Blessed Butterfly Group. And when we, when it's healthy and when we're sort of moving with a common purpose, and when our relationships are healthy, we just we can just flourish and we really can just come beside one another and care for one another, help each other raise our children, be there to celebrate the achievements of our family. But like any culture it needs to be healthy and, and sometimes people prefer to sweep things under the carpet. Yeah. But we know that that sort of stuff is fester. But absolutely, it is a strength family. I would say our ability to connect with people, and that has just been consistently evident in our telenors and even online, our ability to build instant rapport with people, genuine, authentic rapport, and the ability to affirm one another, affirm and encourage one another. Um, yes. You know, when we sort of get rid of some bad habits, that we have, we can really come in and lift each other up, which I've seen um, consistently through our telenoas. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely keen to talk about the telenoas that uh, you refer to there. But tell us, yep. w- with the connection, I mean, you mentioned about 
the group as being a place that people can be vulnerable, but also there's a way that people can connect with authenticity and hearing the stories behind that. But but tell us about that importance of because in some in some ways in day to day day to day life we are connected yet so disconnected. Tell Ooh. us about how the group has come together to try and stop that disconnection and, and really make a connection that's meaningful uh, and authentic. I think, well, we started off face-to-face in a beautiful barbershop called Specific Cuts and Logan. So this was last year in 2019, um, pre-COVID-19. Yeah. And we just invited people to come in. We said to ourselves, to ourselves if only one person comes well we're doing a great job and you know a few people came and it began to grow so I think just talking face to face to begin with is a huge it's huge because people easily just resort to texts emails um, social media but people have a habit of connecting that way and so we wanted to sort of just Go back to, we like to say, old school and just come together in a room, no phones, and just sit in a circle and just be with one another. And so that was really important for that authentic connection. And you, you, when, when you, it's an experience too. And I know there's many groups out there that are doing it, but there's power of being in a room with the understanding that there are going to be some uncomfortable conversations you experience it's powerful you connect with people you feel their emotion you you're you're looking at their body language you're communicating strongly through your own body language and we say you're just speaking life over one another yeah and you're sitting there in non-judgment and you're saying i see you i hear you and i witness your story but what's even greater than community so that's why we just set up the space. But our expectation is that the community will wrap themselves around this person and empower them. So we really go in there letting people know that this isn't about us. We're not psychologists. We're not, yeah. you know, counsellors. We're just like you. But we believe in community and we believe that people hold really rich stories about themselves. And we know that hope is deeply embedded in people's stories, deeply embedded and what just needs to happen is for people to tell their story and when they're able to even talk about how they overcame their struggles, their challenges, then that just hopeful mindsets. They're all about generating those hopeful mindsets within the space. And when COVID-19 hit, we thought, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? You know, and there was even the, the, you know, well, maybe we should just put it on hold. But we were like, man, the people need this even more now. They need they need a space to, to connect. So we don't discuss it too much. We just moved straight into action. And we said, let's just go online. Because we had some people watching us from New Zealand. But, of course, they, they didn't have access to, you know, obviously to come in and sit in the space. But, you know, sometimes we would go live. And they started following us on social media. But because of the online platform, we were able to have people from New Zealand come in. And, and it was, yeah. it was a, you know, it was sort of like 50-50. And we knew that our job was, okay, just to make sure that we um, kept it interactive and we set up the space and we just really tried to focus on facilitating uh, people 
to come in and, and speak because um, I know we're all really good at using online platforms now because of COVID-19. So, because it's very different. There's lots of moments of silence, but sort of just really preface everything that the silence is good because yes. people are starting to think about what they want to say. They're starting to connect their mind to their heart. And we are so happy that we, we didn't put it on hold and we just went for it on Zoom and we sort of got more creative. We would sort of do a lot of work before we would go into the Zoom space and ask our community. We would have a topic and we would ask our community to share their thoughts and we would sort of upload that into social media. You know, really short, sharp, punchy videos. So we would have like very brief videos in the Zoom and then we would launch into our storytelling and it has the power of people connecting stories transcends the online platforms. Like I've witnessed that all year through our journey online with Zoom. We just had a, a telenor on abuse in the home on Monday just gone. Oh. It was an emotional roller coaster, but we, oh, I felt nothing but obviously hope yeah. be generated in that space. But responsibility was really strong in that space. Forgiveness, like that was really beautiful, the theme of forgiveness. And Seems kind of like, you know, people felt triumphant that, hey, we got through a really uncomfortable conversation and, and we were being challenged all the way leading up to this conversation about abuse in the home. People were, are you guys sure you guys can handle a, a conversation like this? Are you sure that you, is it a, you know, I don't think you should have a, a person who used to abuse and, and beat their wife on there telling her story. Wow. And... You know, we're very careful about who comes in and tells this story, absolutely. You know, I feel also that it's about setting the way you set that space up to begin with. You need to really ask people in that space to be self-aware, to remember that your experience is not necessarily going to be the experience of someone else, mm -hmm. to really respect the sacredness of the space and what is spoken in here stays in here. And we also made sure that we had some crisis numbers available to begin with and after our, our Talanoor. But there's something very powerful when a man who used to beat his wife, who lost his children, who had a number of mental health issues. I'm talking a, like just a smorgasbord of mental health issues from depression to being a victim of sexual abuse himself. Yeah. Stay online. To all the women, apologize. Apologize to, to women online. And then start saying to them, just speaking words of love and, and encouragement over women. That was a powerful moment. I don't think there was a dry eye in the Zoom. And, and this is on online. You know, you can just see people yeah. wiping their tears. And I... Sounds incredible. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just something to witness, hey... The, uh, you mentioned the word Talanoa uh, a few times. Uh, tell us what that means to the culture and, and is it a methodology? Is it a process? Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. So I'm not a huge guru on the history of my culture, which is of my race, which is Samoa. But what I do know is when we were looking, we were sort of thinking about how can we 
how can we do this? You know, roll this out. And we, we knew of the word Talanoa, and it actually, it, it isn't just part of the Samoan culture, it's actually across the Pacific, it's just sort of very slightly in the word, in the word. but it is a process, a mechanism that has existed in history, like long before I was even born, and it has been passed through generations, and I believe it has been a, been a mechanism of, a, of an oral culture. So it was a mechanism, obviously, that the way we would tell our stories, educate our young, and also work out the needs of the community, so to speak. And so the, the Talanoa process is about bringing people together. It is about telling stories, sharing wisdom, imparting wisdom, growing wisdom, being empathic to the needs of other people, and finding a way forward. It was always about, okay, how can we move forward collectively as a group? So it just felt like pure gold when we, when we connected to it. Like, of course, well, we, you know, of course it's this. I saw a, uh, the definition I see says, authentic ocean voices sharing real stories and experiences in the hope of inspiring, encouraging, and informing people in our communities and the world. Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful, yeah. And so do, do multiple people in when there's a topic that's brought up, is mm. a Talanoa, is it where everyone gets to share their own experience or is it one person shares their experience and then the leader of the group um, sort of guides the conversation? Mm. How, how does it work? When we first started off, we so we always had questions, very general questions, two or three to help anchor conversations because it can be really daunting coming into a space and talking about really vulnerable, raw topics. And so we found that we needed people to be encouraged to open up. And if they, if people have the ability to firm someone in and say, you know, good on your mate, that was awesome, that was cool, bro, then they just will continue to open up. And so we decided that we would have conversation starters, sort of started off with that, where they would tell something about themselves to encourage the conversation to to start moving. That sort of just evolved naturally through our journey. And so we will identify, we will look at a topic and we will identify people in the community that have been journeying with us or even, you know, sometimes people just message us and they say, hey, I sat in your, in your telemore man, you know, this is my story. Yeah. And then we would sort of get a sense whether or not they would be open to sharing. Wow. That's happened many times, actually. And we would look at having two storytellers to answer the question and to trigger the conversation. And the last telemore we had, we had three storytellers to try and bring in different perspectives of abuse because it's a very, it's a huge topic. And we didn't want it just to be about the abuse between a man and a woman. Yeah. There'll be a facilitator, which is Joe, Janice, or myself. And really, you're not working that. Maybe in the beginning, you're working a little bit hard to facilitate the conversation. Mm-hmm. But what you find is people can't get enough. People are sort of trying to inject themselves to, to be able to like say something because people feel so compelled to share because they've connected so deeply with that person. Mm. And then furthermore to that, it's really great when they just really start to talk about their own experiences. And then it just becomes this night of people saying, hey, that actually happened to me. 
Oh, and, and more than all the time people say, I feel like you're telling my story. Yeah. My exact story. Actually, that, that happened that night. We had a woman share her story of overcoming domestic violence that she was in for 15 years. And then when the, the male came in to share his story of, you know, being the abuser, he was already highly emotional because he said, you're, you're telling my story, but from the eyes of my wife, my ex-wife. And that was powerful. Wow. So we are so connected through our stories, more than we can ever imagine. Our lives are just a, an accumulation of stories, really, if you think about it. And, you know, and, and there's power in that storytelling, like almost a, a sigh of relief, a, a weight off the shoulders, just by talking about their story. Is that is that what you're finding? Oh, huge, huge! It it really connects us. There's so much. The thing is, you have to get vulnerable, though. Hey, yeah. and that's the part that's tricky. Some people don't even want to go there. Some people are afraid. Some people are embarrassed. But once those layers are lifted, it's almost like people are, feel a sense of freedom because yes. it's almost like this, this monkey on their back yeah. that, the, that they've walked around with for so long. And what you find is more than anything, you, you hear from people that they felt safe and they didn't feel, uh, feel so alone. So Jack, who is such a, an awesome person that follows us, when he came and told his story about suicide, and this is when we were delivering face-to-face telemores, that energy in the room, people were just so fixated on him. And then men began to pop up after his story and say to him, yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. And, and, and that's just empowered him now. He shares his story all the time now. Such a beautiful, eloquent articulation of being challenged, you know, having mental, a mental health diagnosis. Talked mm. about his struggle with trying to find good doctors because he had terrible ones. That's a, that's a whole other challenge is just trying to find a, a psychiatrist that's actually willing not to see you as maybe just another patient, but to see, to, to want to take the time to know you as a person. And we've known the public sector that's so, time is money. And then be able to articulate what did he do? What resources did he use to try and overcome that? He's an advocate for getting for medication and the Pacific Island community, people aren't about that medication life. Like mm. it's embarrassing. There's a lot of you need to have have good routine and structures to take medication in order to build that good habit, you know, that habit of taking it. And also medication, those initial period of taking medication causes more challenge, you know, mental health challenges in itself enough for you to stop, which has been told to us through a story that someone shared. And also, in my own experience, watching people struggle with the medication side of their diagnosis, it's almost like come in and you get one mental health diagnosis and they say sometimes after you've had experience in the, med- in the clinical side, you leave with three or four. But he, he brought a, a positive message the community that once you get that medication right you can go on start rebuilding your life and you can sort of start begin to fail back on the medication once you start building because you need to get to a baseline where you can even start to think about what your options are and that's the importance of medication 
is to get you settled and at a, at a healthy baseline where you can start to be aware of your choices in front of you. And so that's what he did and that's, that's been so empowering for him. He's, I feel like he's so connected to his dreams of helping young men, helping youth. I just see that that's going to happen anytime soon for him because he's, he's passionate. But Tapu, I mean, you mentioned the empowering part, not only for him, but for the rest of your group as well, I understand. Absolutely. So you go around and you, you hear all the amazing stories and, and have the space for people to talk in a respectful way. Tell me, when it gets to the end of, of the Talanoa, I'm aware that there's mm. action steps because you're all about, mm. well, what are we going to do from here? Tell us how that works. Yeah. Yes, it's all about planting seeds in the space because, yes, we want people to bring their stories forward, but we want people to start thinking about, okay, what's something right now in this moment that you're willing to commit to? And we know when you ask people to like go and see a psychologist, go to the doctors, but they're not going to do it. So if you ask someone to commit to something that feels small and easy and that's important to them, if they have the ability to actually write it down, I mean, the research shows when you write stuff down, you're more than likely going to action it. We challenge people. We ask them, you know, based on everything that we talked about today, action is important. You need to take action in your life. And, and we really emphasize, you know, what's a small commitment? And we give, like, a, a little example. And we ask them to write it down. So when we were face-to-face, we would just get them to write it on a post-it note and we would just stick it to a big sheet of paper. So it's a little, it was a little bit more tricky, but we, what we do now is we ask people to pop it in the chat and people, people do it. Like they'll pop it in the chat. I saw some really beautiful things. I think we did one on authentic relationships. Someone wrote, oh, I'm going to really try hard to hug my kids before they go to bed at night. Yes. So, Powerful. Yeah, so, so they write down the action if it was in person and it's not anonymous, so they would share the, the one thing that they're going to do. And and is there yep. a, the follow-up part, like is that when you come back the next time, do you say how's everyone going or is it just up to them to go off and take that action? Yeah, it's up to them to go off and take that action. But I guess this is why we've decided to go into life coaching because it has been quite overwhelming, to be honest, um, the people that have gotten in touch with us outside of, of our space. Yes. People curious, also people wanting to share, wanting more, really wanting more. And I believe that launching into a, a life coaching is the natural next step, to be honest, offering another service to people where they can get that more one-to-one time with ourselves you know and our focus to enlist more people in the community one of the most fascinating things about this journey is because we have gone out and sort of connected with real people and heard real stories and real outcomes we have started to shape the themes of the principles that were uh, common Mm -hmm. and we believe we've come up with six really great principles of of being able to move forward in your life and overcoming challenges that we can coach people on and just really encourage and, I guess, help people continue to feel empowered that they can not just survive and not just exist, but to flourish. 
actually, we want to start challenging people the same way that we have, I mean, we're living proof. You don't have to wait to get, you know, we endorse education, absolutely. We know that that's an outcome of, of people that are really doing, are flourishing, you know, becoming more educated, serving more in the community, following their dreams. But we want to actually say to people, why not chase those dreams that you wanted to do of starting your own youth group, of chasing your creativity side? We, we want people to flourish, not just exist. And so really passionate about doing that. And we sort of already do it unofficially with some people, building those authentic relationships in the community is something that I know, I mean, it's all about relationships, even in paid, in the paid sector. If you don't have a good relationship with the person you're working with, with your boss, with a wider network, you're not going to make any traction. So, so um, that just felt like, yeah, that just felt like the natural next step for us. So we're very excited that's launching in November. Oh, that's exciting. Um, and... We're believing for it. Uh, we're just going to plant that seed, and the same way we started, we're just going to see where it goes. And <laughs> oh, well, it's it's really exciting. Uh, the Black Butterfly Group began two years ago. Yeah. And during that time, what have been some of the big challenges that you've faced as a small community group trying to get on their feet? I, I think I can guess, yeah. but I think it'd be good for you to, <laughs> to yeah <laughs> to share. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, we're, we're, we're literally running on passion still, yeah. uh, which I don't think we'll, we'll always keep going because people love the space and there are real outcomes that are happening. I mean, I have to tell you about um, a beautiful young lady called Bottle who has had like a life of trauma but and has had lots of psychologists and lots of clinical support through her own paying of those resources. But being able just to stand up in front of people and share their story and hear that other people have had similar experiences, she's open. She has said that she's released a lot of shame around it all. And so, so we're running on passion, but like I said, we'll always keep running the space because it, it works. We know storytelling works. I guess it's, we're so green, you know. Yeah. We don't know. We honestly don't know what we're doing sometimes, but we just keep putting one foot in front of the other and trying to see how to work things out. I mean, I have no idea how to do IT stuff and I'm trying to create a website and I have no idea how to do it. So it's just finding people that are willing to come in and, and just and help. And we have been fortunate. There's been some really great people that have been trying to help us. People have lives. Yeah. People have jobs, their own jobs and, and responsibilities. So... Learning how to build a business or organization from the ground up. The demand of social media, oh, that is so time-consuming, but that is where we do a lot of our connecting. Is um, it a closed and, group, Tapu? So our Facebook is a closed group. We started off as a private group, and yes. we still are sitting as a private group. But our Instagram is public, and you know, I'm in LinkedIn, and got a YouTube channel where we sort of store some of our videos, uh, because that's also a project that we've been trying to do capture signature stories because yeah. everyone's got got them and making that available to people as well being able to hear stories and we know it's all about videos these days on social media and so the challenge of and people's attention span is so short yeah. so trying to really compress someone's story and just capturing the gold so that it connects 
effectively on social media. And you're building relationships within social media too. So it's not just, hey, come and look at us. Like you're in there commenting, encouraging people on social media too. So it's just understanding, you know, people have said you need a content, content strategy, you need this, you need that. But we don't have all that knowledge and resource available. So we sort of just try our best to stay anchored and aligned with our vision try to just be consistent and be present so that that online presence I, I've learned one thing is it needs there needs to be consistency otherwise you can people get bored yeah. people get bored and and people are needy on online too <laughs> well <laughs> so, um, it's incredible the things you're doing so I, I guess uh, <laughs> I mean it's it's great to see there's been some really good growth from the side of what you're doing and the and the people that are wanting to be part of the group certainly sounds like it's been a great journey so far from that but are you getting are there challenges with getting people like buy-in from people that are coming into the group to be open and and get used to that openness absolutely and you know what a lot of constructive and i'm sort of doing the the rabbit ear fingers criticism from people already in the sector because i guess they have concerns around people's safety in these conversations you know, that vulnerable, vulnerable war part of the platform, you know, being adverse to risk, risk, risk. Yeah. <laughs> and it really can throw us off our our passion and our drive to, like, just get it, let's just do it. But building trust with people, obviously, from the outset has, you know, that word of mouth when people say it's a safe space, like, that is so important to us. And we know that unless, we must be doing something right if people are telling you, saying consistently in feedback videos that it's a, a safe place. And not everyone has said it. Like people have given us some feedback around, mainly around race, because we want not just the Pacific Islands community to come in, we want all races to come in because we believe our inner architecture is the same. Yeah. A lot of the issues, challenges that people face is irrespective of their culture, their race, their gender. We know there's a lot of groups that are at risk, but we make sure that we we work really hard in the beginning to set that space up. So we acknowledge things that need to be acknowledged. Yep. We acknowledge that it's going to be raw. Any little strategy or, or tool that we can use, we, we try to implement that. But more than anything, we don't try and, and start a, a beautiful conversation with fear because we know that's not that's not how you're going to get people to feel safe in the first place is making everything about, you know, making everything fear-based. Yeah, getting people to buy into the vulnerable raw part of the platform. But you know what, to be honest, it hasn't, the, the people in the community, they are so hungry for a space like this. There yeah. needs to be more spaces like this. It really is just people that already exist in the sector. How have you been received in the community? Tapu. Like, has it been like other organisations, other services? Has it been something that's been welcomed and, and needed and implored, or has it been something that's been quite challenging for you? It's been a little bit of an eye opener. There, there will always be people that have been in the space, and I think I sort of, I always liken it to like it feels like Hunger Games, where on the surface. Other services seem to be very collaborative, but silence speaks loud for your little ones trying to come up. Come up, and we've had some 
beautiful people that have really lifted us and, and promoted us on their platforms come in. And I mean, you know, in social media, even a like, if you give us a comment, oh, we're doing backflips. Some have come in and just really driven the academic perspective in there. And it's like, don't do that. Don't come in and shift the ground because that power imbalance that is, you know, can be created in a, in a community space and needs mm-hmm. to be very flat. Yeah. You know, and we've had an experience where um, an academic has come in and just belted us with some of the research that he has done. And I, I, I felt the power shift. And what I saw was expert, uneducated lay people. And then what I, I saw are people start to, can you tell us about this? Tell, and I was thought, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Did you not see what happened in the space? Can you, you people did this. You people generated this hope. You people are inspiring each other. And there's absolutely a place for it. Yeah. But I think professionals aren't aware enough of the, the, the power imbalance that they, that they create and they're not even aware of it. An example was, you know, in that space, one of our storytellers started to say, Oh, I don't know. I'm just uneducated, and I thought, no, this is this is not okay. Yeah, yeah. People can seem collaborative, but it, it is it's competitive, and I'm trying to kind of just walk it at the moment. But um, we're really open to building relationships. Well, that's really good you know? with the financial side of it and the people side of it. I understand. I mean, resources in small community groups are very tight, mm. and there's only so much time mm. in the day. Everyone's got their own lives, as you've mentioned before, and lots of other groups have got their hand out as well to try and get some funding to, to get websites and try and keep the lights on, so to speak. But, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're doing it very carefully and a very staged approach. Tell me, what is the outcomes? What success look like for the Black Butterfly Group? What, what are you hoping to achieve as a group? I think the first thing that comes to mind is, is our vision. You know, we want to see people do well. We want to see people flourish, not just exist and not just survive. We want to, we want to see people flourish. I said, okay, I want to mention how, um, you know, how we came up with the Black Butterfly Group name. Yes. So my father, Jennifer and, and, and myself, our father died two years ago from stage four small cell lung cancer. And he was a fit man. Like he was, a, he was, he used to build concrete tanks. And he was only 62, so he was young. And there's actually quite a lot of chronic disease in my family. And there's quite a lot of chronic disease in Pacific Island community. Well, just and communities from a poor socioeconomic background, you know, lots of ethnic communities, our Aboriginal and Indigenous and Māori and Pacific communities. And so I, I guess what the research shows is that it's mental health issues is highly cor- correlated with chronic disease. So we want to see people live longer. When my father passed away, I think five months after I returned from New Zealand, I used to live in a townhouse and I started to see this black butterfly flying around the front door of the townhouse. And at first, you know, oh, there's a butterfly. Oh, it's black. But it was it was consistently at the front of the townhouse and to the point where, you know, we were like, hey, this butterfly is always here. And, and not only is it always here, it like would really fly really close to us to the point where it would land sort of 
swoop and touch your hand. One point it even landed on my daughter's knee and flew off. We really, really believe that that's, that's the spirit of my father. Yes. Coming to say, hey, I'm still with you. And just in that, whether that's real or not, that connection to our loved ones is so important. It carries on, you know, after um, people pass on and we are our stories and there's lots of grief and loss, but I think it's really important that with each generation we do better. And that's what we see a lot as well, Sam and our, our Talanoas. We talk about generational stuff. This happened to me. This has happened to my brother. This happened to my grandfather. This is happening to my child. Mm. And this black butterfly continues to follow us. So I said, okay, if we moved house, and I said, if this black butterfly shows up at the next house, then it is definitely dad. <laughs> and what do you know? Seriously, on moving day, this black butterfly starts flying around in the backyard. <laughs> it was just, so we've just accepted this is dad who flies around at my sister's house all the time. Not as much as before, but I tell you, when things are really down, this black butterfly will appear and it just, it just inspires us to keep going, to keep doing the work. That's and so that name is, just drives us. And I think story. we love to tell that story because I think whatever it takes, you know, whatever inspires you, whatever motivates you, reconnect with that. We would like to see more people come in and support one another yes. in the community. We want to see people seek support more. Black Butterfly Talanoas are kind of like a soft entry point for people to start even considering that they that they can get some, some more help. And we have heard stories of Liam, one, one guy that's come in, you know, he has decided to take up the offer that his doctor gave him around taking up a mental health plan are coming to a few Talanoas. I mean, you can't get a better outcome than that for me. And so that's great. You know, he's getting further support. So we want to have people have the confidence to start looking for more support and whether it be in natural community supports or whether it be in the, in the health sector. And we want to see, I guess I see life coaching as it's, it's really sort of similar to that peer framework, I guess. And we know that there's lots of gold in that. And we would like to see a, a, a culture of, of coaching amongst people where they're all supporting each other and, and challenging each other, whether that's in a paid space or whether that's just something they do naturally in their community, learning how to not go and tell people, you should just do this, but learning how to deeply connect with people, be human with people again. Don't be afraid to just be human with people. Don't be afraid to go in and just learn how to listen because I think that's another great part about being in a Talanoa is, is the seeds that we plant in there about, hey, listening is important. That's why you've got two ears and one mouth. <laughs> yeah. uh, communication is important, important. It's not just the words coming out of your mouth. It's your body language too. So learning how to really connect with people again and learning how to be positive. Like it's not okay to dump all your shit on someone who's already going through something. You know, challenge yourself for every negative thing that comes out of your mouth. Do you know you need to work really hard to overcome that and speak what's the negativity ratio I think it's 3 to 1 well we say it should be 10 to 1 
Yeah. Words are powerful. And, you know, start talking about dreams again. That's common in what we hear as people, you know, I wanted to do this, but this happened, life happened. It's like, well, why not? We, Black Butterfly Group, are living proof. You don't, you, you can take action now. Don't be afraid. So I think, yeah, we'd love to see a community just be natural, co- natural coaches. And we want to establish that globally. <laughs> we want to take out, I guess, our Black Butterfly flavor. And we want to reach people all over. We believe we have a global message. And we believe that one of our values is diversity. And we know that's really important. Not everyone is going to be the right person to talk to or you're not necessarily going to be the, 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 the person that, that, that is going to connect with you. So we want you know diversity of thought. We want diversity in your background. We want, I guess, sorry if I've waffled a bit there, but that's sort of our big vision. We kind of, we always joke about ourselves. We don't have all the answers right now. That's okay. We'll just keep. If we don't know what to do. We'll do something, <laughs> and we feel like that's um, worked to our favour so far. It's incredible the story behind it, and and what you're doing in the community, along with Janice and Joe with uh, the Black Butterfly Group. Incredible, mm. and the community groups are so important. They're critical. Mm. I mean, they're all running on on the smell of an oily rag. Yeah. They're all running on passion and. It's truly inspirational to hear about the stuff that, that you guys are up to, certainly not only within the Pacifica group, but for anybody yeah. uh, from any cultural background. How do people get in touch with the Black Butterfly group? So we're on, we're on social media, so that's probably the most easiest. The name Black Butterfly group, you know, you just need to type that in and you're, you're going to find us on Instagram, on Facebook. We have an email address as well, so at blackbutterflygroup.com that people can message us and always try our best to respond, can direct message us through our social media platforms. We're on LinkedIn as well and we're very active. Like there's always one of us on there, you know, looking after our platforms. And our um, Talanoas, we've got one more for the year next month, which is going to be November the 23rd, which is more than likely. We're just sort of confirming our our space but it's, it's going to be um, about suicide last year's one was very successful and powerful and so we sort of always try our best to promote when they're going to be on and and we try to make sure we make the links available online so i encourage people to get in touch hear more about what's been going on follow them on their socials Tapu, it's been really good to talk to you um, and about all the amazing things that you're up to. As I mentioned before, these community groups are critical. I mean, to bridge the gap between the community and professional services, we need, as you mentioned, that soft entry for people um, Mm. because it resonates with people and it's a great place to start to create that safe haven, that conversation uh, and certainly sounds like you're definitely bridging that gap and, and doing an incredible job. So so keep it up. Thank you so much. And we're looking forward to hearing more about what you've been up to. Good luck with the life coaching. And Thank we you. appreciate your time on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. 
Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.